Hello and welcome back to Tells. On this episode of Tells, it is episode 4-0. Can you believe it? 40 of these? Almost as old as you are. 40 episodes? 4-0. Wow. This is a very special installment of Tells. We just got the chance to sit and chat with Ryan LaPlante, who is a professional poker player, coach, and extraordinary human not extraordinary no you need to hear both words extraordinary um i am so inspired existential crisis thrown into (laughs) Um, seriously yeah this is a guy who uh you can just tell he is in the spot he's doing the thing that he feels like he's supposed to be doing you know he's just he's male Kristen Bicknell pretty much <laughs> yeah pretty much um he just you know obviously loves poker has a passion for it and has sort of structured his life all around the game and in a manner that's going to allow him to have success as a uh, professional mainly tournament poker player so if you want to be inspired before your world series of poker make sure to listen closely because yeah. this is Mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to uh, tune into this as well and listen back to this one because there's just so much like information here to take away, so many things to uh, to learn here, so much practical info, lots of WSOP tips, um, and how to have a great summer. Yep. So enjoy. Again, thank you for joining us on Tells Ryan. Um, to get started, I guess we'll just let the listeners of the podcast know who Ryan is. Uh, Ryan is a professional poker player. He's played over 40,000 tournaments. Is that correct? I saw this on yep. Poker Potential. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, between online and live, I've played around 40,000 scheduled tournaments. Um, I know it's above 38,000, but I'm pretty sure it's like 41,000, 42,000. Um, I've been playing poker professionally for nine years, so a decent amount of that time was pre-Black Friday, and the well, I guess a little bit of it was pre-Black Friday, but I spent a lot of time post-Black Friday uh, hopping back and forth between Canada, Mexico, and the U.S., so gotten a lot of online volume. Um, and so tell me, Ryan, how did you get into poker to begin with? Because you were pretty young when you started playing poker, right? Yeah, I started playing with friends in middle school uh, slash junior high, you know, during the Moneymaker boom. So that would have been, what, 2003, so I would have been 13 years old. So started playing then with friends in, in school, and... Um, you know, as I grew older, I was always really into competitive gaming. Um, I played Halo fairly competitively, so I always needed something to fill that competitive itch. And you know, once I stopped playing Halo, I fell back into poker. Uh, once I turned 18, you know, I made my first two plus two account at uh, a month before I turned 18. Found out there was strategy and math involved, and just never looked back. So you have you always been into sort of the strategy and math aspect of the poker game or just like even in school? Yeah, um, I've always been, you know, kind of a math geek and into video games and into strategy games, you know, playing chess and board games and all that kind of stuff growing up. Um, I always did really well in school and in, in math um, and in most subjects. And, you know, it's just something that really drew just everything about me loves a lot of aspects of the game, not just the math and strategy, but also just like the social interaction, 
um, the dichotomy that the game creates and also just like the world around the game as well. So you pretty chatty at the table or uh, not so much? That really depends on the table. Um, I try to be a little more talkative. I try to have, you know, a good time at the table. I try to make sure that the recreational players have a good time as well. But, you know, sometimes I'm just not in the mood or or I'll be just be playing in a really difficult table. Mm-hmm. In which case, if I'm on a tough table and we're playing for a lot of money, I am 100% focused. I'm just music and kind of ignoring the social uh, interactions and just want to play my absolute best. So, so was it always tournaments or was it a mix of cash games as well? Um, I've pretty much always played a mixture of tournaments and cash games. Um, I've generally been very tournament heavy, um, but the last handful of years, I've tried to play a decent amount more cash games. Um, I played a decent amount of 2-5, 5-10, especially uh, the 2-5-10 PLO at Aria is one of my favorite games right now. Um, I've recently played on Poker on the Strip, uh, the Bellagio stream cash game. Played that a few times um, and actually had my biggest winning session ever on that in cash. So, I, yeah, I've been playing a little bit. I would like to play a lot more cash games, especially as online opens up in the U.S. So I am working on getting better, getting some PLO and element coaching from some pretty good mid to high stakes regs. So I'm definitely looking forward to playing more cash in the future. Yeah, and speaking of PLO, you won a PLO event, right? And at that time, were you playing? So you won a bracelet yep. event in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you playing a lot more Hold'em or PLO? Uh, I've always been more Nullimit focused, but I do play a decent amount of PLO and PLO8. Uh, PLO8 more specifically than PLO. Uh, by PLO8, I mean Hilo. Okay. Um, I I enjoy Hilo, honestly, probably the most of any game that I play. I just have a lot of fun with it. It's a great game. It's really soft. Um, and I've played it online, honestly, since I started playing Nullimit way back in the day and was fortunate enough to meet one of the better sit-and-go regs back then. So he coached me, helped me on that aspect of my game. So I've always been consistently improving the two games together. Mm-hmm. And my initial PLO knowledge came from my understanding of PLO 8, and that's what helped me win my bracelet. And over the last uh, year and a half or so, I've also gotten some PLO cash game coaching, and I've been playing some PLO cash and that really helped me with my second place last year in the 1500 PLO Nolan Holdem mix. Whoa. And what does it feel like to win a WSOP bracelet event? I mean, I wanted to win one since I was 14 years old. Wow. So to achieve something that I've wanted for 13 years meant, you know, absolutely everything to me. There was there's no amount of money that I would sell that experience for. It was incredible. Wow, what do you think, Andrew? Do you mean? I, I want to know where the uh, where the celebration was after uh, winning <laughs> winning the bracelet. So I was actually super boring. Um, after I won the bracelet, uh, did the interviews, you know, got the pictures, that kind of stuff. I actually immediately hopped into the Millionaire Maker and made day two of that, and then made day two of the next tournament, and the next tournament, and the next tournament. So really, the celebration was. Um, uh, I think we bought a new car or something like that, like a week or so later. And last year when I had a really good summer, um, we bought another new car. Like, really, I don't really care that much about partying or anything like that. You know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs of any kind. So for me, like, the summer is purely about the grind. And, you know, if I make a lot of money, that's cool. But, like, I just love playing everything. Just, I love talking to people who love playing poker um, because you just get so much more uh, idea of the game. 
instead of just like you know sort of like playing poker so it really gets me excited when i talk to people who love playing poker yeah it's pretty motivating like have you uh surrounded yourself with people that are kind of similar uh approach the game like with such a, a passion for it yeah i've been very fortunate with who i've met in the game um either the, my like best friends in the game are either incredibly motivated and intelligent people who absolutely love the game and love the grind and love improving or people who are exceptionally skilled players who used to have that kind of exact same passion but now are kind of working on like other things a bit as well but are still you know some of the best players in the game so to have access to both people who are very similarly minded and still very much on the poker grind and people who are you know near the top in the industry but kind of on their way out kind of gives me access to like both sides of the spectrum the more current grinders and some of the high stakes regs and one of something that i realized um back when i was starting the game is just how important networking is and being able to surround yourself with people who are you know similarly motivated and who really want to become the best players is how you really succeed in an industry like poker Mm. and i was just about to ask you that like how do you if somebody's sort of starting out what would your advice be to them on you know they just maybe they just have the passion and they've started studying um where would you say to go next like get a coach and say you're very shy or reserved how would you say you know what tips would you give about networking in the poker world i mean most poker forums are great places to network yet um they aren't as great as they were back in you know the heyday of online but there's still great great places to, to start networking um also places like discord like most of the major streamers most of the major forums all have uh discord uh groups and there's always tons of discussions and chat going on there and also forums like um i'm an ambassador for cards chat Card Chat's a great forum for newer players who are trying to, you know, get the beginning steps into entering into the poker world, um, you know, start learning the the basics of strategy and that kind of stuff. Um, forums like 2 Plus 2 are still pretty good resources in terms of finding a lot of great content on it. And Twitch streams and Twitch discords are probably some of the best places now to have pretty consistent and regular good uh, mid to high level discussions about the game and then you know once you surround yourself with people who are motivated and passionate about the game that's when you can really start break uh, breaking into the more high level content and helping other people help you understand that stuff you know content like uh, razoredge.com's uh, uh, master class i mean that content some of the best stuff out there but it's a lot to take in and it is very difficult to digest unless you really have a lot of experience in the game and industry. And surrounding yourself with people who are also trying to figure that stuff out is one of the best ways to improve and really start to, you know, break your way into the game. So do you ask questions or, you know, so because people learn differently. So right. would I go in there and sort of put my hands in um, or observe and read other people's threads or do a combination of both? Definitely need to do a combination of both. You know, anything that you're uncertain about, always ask questions. And I'm sure on the forums and stuff, you will get some bad answers, but you'll also get a lot of good answers. And you'll start to figure out, like, who the most consistent and best posters are and try mm -hmm. to follow them around and, you know, see what type of content they're posting. I mean, I post all the time on Cards Chat. Um, I 
use a post a lot on Q plus two. I'm still in discussions and groups and stuff pretty regularly. So if as long as you're getting into the mix of things and trying to find information and good information, you there's so much great information out there and so many ways to access it that I mean part of the issue right now is that there it, it's like it's almost too much information. Mm. But I think if you're really motivated at improving and becoming good and you're willing to put in the time and effort that it's not that difficult to find great information on the game and to really start improving. Um, but if you're not willing to like, you know, put yourself out there with like asking questions and being wrong and stuff, you just aren't really going to improve. And I feel as though that that's something that keeps a lot of people back. You know, a lot of my students are maybe a little bit, a little bit hesitant to show weakness in terms of what they don't understand. You know, they don't want to look stupid asking a really bad question. But the thing is, is that, you know, as some of my teachers used to say in high school, is that there really aren't stupid questions. You know, right. it w- what's stupid for you to do is to not know something and then to not be willing to find what is correct. Yeah, yeah well said. How are you uh, breaking down your days um, I assume World Series time is a little bit different since there's just yep. so many tournaments back to back, which probably leaves a lot less time for studying. But maybe like during non WSOP time, how do you break down your play time versus your studying hours? So what I generally do is, if it's a, a month in which I'm still playing a bit of a, a like a smaller different series, um, I tend to do two hour coaching sessions before each tournament I play. Um, I'll coach um, one of my many students. Um, I'm a coach for CLC, and I have my own coaching site, uh, which I pick up tons of students through that. And um, so I tend to start with doing a coaching session about three to four days a week, which actually keeps my game really strong because I have to you know, consistently be able to explain many different kinds of situations in depth in many different ways to many different types of you know, people who learn in different ways, who play different stakes. And if I don't know each situation very much so in depth, then I'm going to run into a lot of issues based off of all the different types of players that I coach from weak recreationals to mid to high stakes professionals. So because I do so much coaching, I'm pretty consistently working on my game in that aspect. And then on top of that, anytime I do like a pretty big Sunday grind, um, I try to review that session at least once or twice throughout the week. Um, and then, of course, I watch content like Raise Your Edge, uh, go through their stuff. Uh, CLC Poker has a massive database with some of the best players on the planet. So being able to watch their coaching sessions helps me out a lot as well. Um, and I'm also constantly discussing hands with people. I'm in two very active strategy discussion groups as well as in um, the very active CLC discussion uh, groups. So I'm constantly discussing hands. I would say that like my learning process each day really just does not end. And let us know, for those who don't know, what is CLC? Uh, CLC is Chip Leader Coaching. It's created by uh, Chance Corneth and John B. Prez. So what we do is revenue-based coaching, which means, um, so we have 100K, 250K, and 500K packages, where let's say you sign up for a 100K package, then you sign a contract for the next $100,000 of uh, amount that you cash for, You'll be on our contract with us. We'll get a percentage of those caches. And in return, you get one-on-one coaching and group coaching and access to the entire coaching database at CLC. And uh, students who work with me also get access to my entire coaching database, which right now have a bit over 100 hours of content that they can go through. Wow, that's so, awesome. 
pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. CLC is doing a lot of really good things. Um, the main coaches right now are Chance Corneth, uh, Alex Foxen, Joe McKeon, uh, myself, also Ryan Jones, Ryan Lang. So we've got a really strong group of people. You're going to see a lot of great results from the crew this summer. Um, so what happens if I don't meet my caches for, you know, say I'm in a $100,000 uh, CLC package. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then I don't meet my caches. How does that work? Um, I mean, pretty much everyone will over some stretch of time. It's like not limited to X number of, okay. of months or whatever. So, you know, we make sure that we um, pretty thoroughly screen everyone ahead of time, make sure that they're willing to play a reasonable amount of volume, willing to work hard on their game, you know, because it's when a coach has like a percentage piece of you, they're mm-hmm. going to be a lot more willing to put in a lot of work into you and make sure that they're more of a mentor than just, you know, someone who's just coaching for an hourly. And also with um, just how large CLC is growing and just how active the groups are, we're more trying to build a community of players we're all very self-motivated and strongly motivated to improve and become great players. And, you know, so we're helping people find other like-minded people who are really trying to improve in the exact same way that they are, trying to take out a lot of the hard work of finding these types of people as well. Yeah, I really like that approach. Like everybody's motivated to be better and right. improve. Right, and I think surrounding yourself with that is very, very important in this game. Yeah, and so... Your poker life it obviously yeah. takes up a lot of your time. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you balance um, relationships, like with your fiance and family and uh, all that sort of thing? I mean, really, I just try to gauge how he's feeling and, you know, making sure that we're constantly communicating and making sure that he's happy. You know, obviously, in order for, um, especially, you know, being a single income household and stuff and having to, you know, provide for the both of us and everything, you know, it's really important that I work a decent number of hours and, you know, make sure that I make enough money. But that being said, it's also just so important to make sure that, you know, that he's happy and that, you know, we're just spending a good amount of time together. Also, like, if I'm just not spending a decent amount of time with them, you know, I start to feel burnt out pretty easily. So mm-hmm. between mixture of just listening to how I feel and also making sure that we're constantly communicating about how we both feel, you know, individually and as a partnership, you know, that makes everything just much easier, runs much more smoothly. And the times in the past where, you know, I've let that those things kind of go to the wayside have been, you know, some of the worst periods in terms of, you know, how well I played, my resolve, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, as I've grown older and stuff, I became much more aware of how I feel, how he feels. Um, on top of that, um, we have a pretty large group of friends here in Vegas, and we try our absolute best to hang out with people regularly. And whether that means, you know, we we generally go out of our way to make sure we're hanging out with people pretty consistently, you know, in terms of, like, hosting board game nights or playing Dungeons & Dragons or going on hikes to Red Rock, you know, taking advantage of all that Vegas has to offer in terms of indoor and outdoor activities. You know, there's just so much the city has to offer. And being able to surround yourself with a lot of great people here, you know, makes the grind and everything so much easier. Right. And uh, Chris has no interest in playing poker or have you tried to teach him? Yeah, he enjoys playing video games. He enjoys playing board games and stuff, but he's just not competitive in the way that poker really requires you to be. And he has like no interest in it whatsoever, which is kind of nice because when I come home, it's just like the poker just ends. There's like, you know, I might tell him how my day went or whatever, but outside of that, you know, we're just hanging out and relaxing and I get to unwind. 
Yeah, and you get to decompress and not right. have to talk about poker hands when you get home as well. Right, exactly. What about drinking and smoking and partying? Is he into that stuff or no? No, he doesn't really do that stuff either, which is kind of nice. I mean, I don't mind when he drinks or anything like that, um, and I don't mind if he, like, smokes pot or anything. Um, but because I don't really, you know, being with someone who also just doesn't really care about those things is much easier, certainly makes it just much easier on me. Um, and, you know, I have nothing really against, you know, either of those things by any means, but, you know, when you're someone who doesn't really have much of a desire for it and you're with someone who has a strong desire to do that kind of stuff, it, it can just be hard to relate at times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how it could work long term. Things are going to come to a head more often right. than not. Exactly. So, yeah, I don't think it would work um, long term. And now it's World Series time. Yep. Uh, and how do you do? You, is there like exercise regime, eating habits or anything of the sort that you add in or sort of keep you on track? I've always been pretty bad with that kind of stuff, um, at least in terms of, like, really in terms of exercising more than anything. Um, I try to make sure I'm somewhat active, but I don't really, like, work out regularly or anything like that. But something I do try to do is, you know, regularly take my dog on walk, long walks, do long walks with my fiance. Um, we're pretty close to Exploration Park, and it has wonderful hiking trails and stuff. So we walk there pretty regularly. Um, so I get a decent amount of walking in, making sure I'm getting outside regularly hanging out with him a lot you know walking my dog and stuff a lot in terms of eating um i just try to avoid like eating really heavy meals during the summer um i tend to just bring some small snacks with and then my average dinner is just a chipotle veggie bowl so i try to avoid like really heavy bad foods um and just have cereal and stuff in the morning so i you know try to you know not take things out of line but i'm not like one of the super healthy super workout 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 people but i do what keeps me happy and feeling pretty good about you know my body and my health and that kind of stuff and i feel as though just like doing that kind of stuff um is more than enough in terms of making sure i'm playing well and have energy um the other thing is i'm always able to sleep well or i'm almost always able to sleep well they're very you know, a few exceptions and just making sure I'm getting enough sleep and going to bed at a regular hour just helps so much with the summer grind. Yeah. And so what do you attribute the sleeping well to? I think um, that's a really important part of, you know, poker playing, especially when you're playing cash games and not knowing when it might end or when the game breaks, do you sort of set a time to be done and go home and get the amount of sleep that you need? Yep, I always stick to a schedule. Um, one of the upsides of playing tournaments is that uh, sticking to a pretty set schedule is much easier than in cash games. Because in cash games, you know, if you're sitting at like a really good five ten game, and a guy to your right is just completely wasted, it's late at night, it's like two in the morning, and you know that they're just going to give you their five thousand dollars stack, you know, it's really hard to get up from that game, even if it's two in the morning. You just you're going to sit there until they leave, and you know that can make the grind a lot harder when. You know, one day you're up till 6 in the morning, one day you're up till 1 a.m., one day you go to bed at 10, or so on and so forth. And having, like, that fluctuation of a schedule makes the grind much, much, much harder than for me where, you know, I know my earliest tournament starts at 10 a.m. I know the latest a tournament will run will be 2 a.m. Right. So I'm never going to be, like, home later than 3 a.m., and I never really have to start before 10. Um, so because of that, like, my schedule is, tends to be pretty well set. Also, I plan my schedule for the summer months in advance. Mm. Um, I generally know the huge majority of what my schedule looks like in March. And by mid-May, I have every single day planned. 
Wow. So I know exactly what my next, you know, seven weeks is going to look like with the exception of, you know, just how late am I playing and stuff. Right. You know, some days I'll, you know, have three turns that day, but I might bust all three of them pretty early and just have, you know, I would expect to play till midnight and said I'm done at like 9 p.m. or whatever. But, you know, for the most part, I've got a pretty good idea as to what I'm doing, and that keeps the grind a little bit more easy to manage. Um, that being said, my summer grinds are always ridiculously long. I think the last two summers I worked over 500 hours each summer. So it ends up being a, a pretty long grind. But, you know, being able to sleep well is just something I've been pretty fortunate with. Um, you know, when I'm going into day three of a tournament, 27 people left, I just never have issues sleeping. I'm never, like, overly nervous or worried or anything like that. I just, I'm exhausted from the end of the day of grinding. I get into bed, I fall asleep pretty quickly. Um and when I do have difficulty sleeping, I love doing audiobooks. Um, okay. Audiobooks is just a great way for me to unwind and relax at the end of, of a grind, and I'm usually able to fall asleep within 30 minutes listening to those. So it gives me something to like kind of focus on, um, and the fact that uh, most uh, audible uh, narrators tend to have like deep, slow voices also just makes you know, falling asleep <laughs> to it pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. So where do you think all this sort of discipline and the way you structured your life comes from? Is it is it something you saw growing up, um, something you just aspired to be because you knew that that would lead to success? Uh, what do you um, attribute that to? So I was very fortunate that um, my mom and stepdad were, are both people that, you know, are, are very hardworking and disciplined people. Um, you know, my stepdad's a, a fairly large business owner, um, and my mom has just always been someone with a lot of work ethic, um, was a single parent for a pretty long time and took care of my brother and I and did a, you know, great job with us. Um, on top of that, um, my parents, when I was, uh, I want to say 13 years old, gave my brother and I an option of joining either the Boy Scouts or Civil Air Patrol, and uh, we both agreed to join Civil Air Patrol, which uh, Civil Air Patrol patrol is the auxiliary of the air force mm -hmm. so they are very heavily focused on things like you know discipline and hard work and honesty and integrity um perseverance you know things like that and they teach a lot of about the air air force um you know you do same type of military dr uh drilling um the summer boot camp that you go to is pretty much the exact same as an actual real boot camp um and on top of that through them, I got to go on search and rescue missions, got to uh, learn how to fly gliders at age 15 and fly um, powered airplanes at 16 years old. So I could fly a plane by myself before I could drive a car by myself. Wow. Um, and also, I grew up in central Minnesota, and you know, it's kind of like a fairly small town in, in central Minnesota as well. So just like that part of the country just is very centered around you know work ethic and that kind of stuff. So I just was fortunate enough to grow up in an area and to have parents and people around me growing up that had, you know, that type of viewpoint about the world. Um, and, you know, I was also just exposed to a lot of really great people growing up. So that's always kind of given me my drive and work ethic. Yeah, and for sure it shows, I mean, with the your career and I'm just talking to you now, I'm, I'm in awe. I love it. So, Thank you. yeah, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I'm just thinking about uh, how well Ryan described my life. We're going to talk about the guy at 2 a.m. Uh, on your right uh, in the cash game <laughs> and not being allowed to leave. Uh, can maybe change that to like 5 a.m. But uh, yeah, pretty spot on for the past 10 years of my life. Right, which honestly, that grind is just as hard as a tournament grind. Tournament grind, like, sure, we'll go, you know, a year without making money in live tournaments. But you cash game grinders, you know, putting in those types of hours and having that amount of uncertainty and like when you're playing, where you're playing, how good the games are, that kind of stuff. Is definitely certainly um, very admirable to be able to do it for as many years as you. Have. Do you think that because um, you're obviously like you're just so steeped into the poker world, poker lifestyle mm-hmm. um, for the, for the past uh, maybe like half of your life, is the passion for the game uh, as high as it's ever been for you? Yeah, I would say it's as high or about as high as, as it's ever been. Um, the only thing that I've been finding some difficulty with is like having specific set goals that I'd like to achieve um that's always been and something in the past it was always a little bit easier for me just because there's so much that I hadn't really done yet but you know now that I've won a bracelet and have had a decent amount of financial success and stuff it's a li- been a little bit harder for me to find exact goals to work for but outside of that I'm still like very motivated on improving and getting better you know I want to get better at cash games I want to get better at all the mixed games um, I would like to win a second bracelet. Um, so I'm still like very well motivated. I'm still putting in a lot of effort. I'm working on my own coaching site. So there are plenty of things that I'm working on, but I just feel a little bit less of a motivation than I felt when I was still super hungry for a bracelet. Um, you know, getting a second would be incredible. Um, but, you know, just because there's so few people who have two and tons of people who have one. But, you know, once I got got my first you know that was really was pretty much everything that i really wanted um so getting a second would just be you know kind of like you know icing on on the top but you know i want to keep being successful be able to provide for my fiance and i you know do some cool trips so i definitely have a lot of motivation going forward but it feels a little bit different than what i had you know three years ago or two years ago but i don't see my passion really dying down at all and I still plan on being in this in, in this industry for many years to come as a professional player. That's cool. At least Ryan is going to be in the industry for a long time. And he teaches. So there'll be lots of people at least being guided the right way. Definitely. You said you're going to play up to maybe a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars in entries in yep. the upcoming season. Are you selling part of uh, you selling action for that yep. or is it all you? No, I sell action for everything. Um, one of the big downsides of playing tournaments for a living is that the, the variance, the financial swings in them are exceptionally large. Even even if you know you have a very large edge in the game, you know, something like playing live tournaments, you can just lose money for a year pretty easily, and it wouldn't be, like, by any means, like, even that bad of a run, to be honest. So because of that, I, I feel as though it's really, really, really important for me to mitigate my variance as much as possible. It's why I coach, it's why I sell tons of action. Um, especially for something like the summer. I mean, the summer is seven weeks of play, and I'm going to play between a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars in buy-ins. And you know, bricking all of it would be very bad. So you know, being able to spread out that variance in a lot of different ways between buying action and others, selling action to people, doing swaps with good friends and stuff. You know, I'm enabling myself to have the highest probability of a profitable summer that I possibly can. I might not necessarily be maximizing my long-term profitability, but a lot of like being happy and comfortable um, and sane in this industry 
is being able to consistently make a good amount of money. And by selling action and doing swaps and buying action and others, I'm essentially spreading my variance as many different ways as possible and as big of a way as possible, where even if I have a really bad summer personally, I could still make a lot of money this summer. So I'm enabling myself the best opportunity possible. And I could still completely brick the summer. I could brick the summer. All my pieces could brick the summer. And it wouldn't be like that shocking of, of a thing. Um, and at the end of it, I'd still be in a good financial situation, be able to keep grinding and make a living. Mm-hmm. And having that realistic um, expectations in terms of, yeah, I could just not make any money and lose a ton this summer and have that be kind of the expected thing makes the rest of the grind much easier. So if I get, you know, three out rivered in something two weeks in, I'm not already starting to get frustrated and worried about, you know, what's going to happen going forward or anything. Um, Instead, I just don't really expect to do that well, but I play my absolute best and put myself into as many great situations as possible. And, you know, if I have a good summer, I do. If I don't, it really is not the end of the world by any means. Right. Is there a way you sell action so can i not knowing you purchase action or is it mainly friends and uh, Um, people you know so the huge majority of the action i i sell is just to good friends and long-term investors but i also sell a little bit of action through stake kings um and the prices that i sell through stake kings is the exact same price that i sell to friends um i don't try to take advantage of small-time buyers or anything like that I do my absolute best to just provide a good value investment for anyone who wants to buy action in me. You know, the only th- way that it might not be a great value investment if I'm somehow wrong about my edge and something. But I try my absolute best to make sure that anyone who wants to buy a piece will have a profitable investment long run. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sell through Stake Kings. Um, I put up 5% of my total summer action on there, and I also sold a decent amount of my uh, some some of the 10Ks I'm playing this summer on there. And the minimum purchase on there, you could buy action for as little as a dollar. So if people want to buy action in me, they're welcome to, although it's all sold out. Um, they can't anymore. But generally going forward, I put a little bit of action on Stake Kings. I sell the majority of the rest to friends and private investors. So if fans of mine want to be able to have a little bit, bit of a sweat, they're able to do so and get to have a little bit of fun, you know, following along with, with the action this summer. In fact, first event that I uh, sold to is an event that I'm in day two of that starts in a couple of hours. And hopefully I can get a nice good run in for the first event on the package. I saw that. I just saw that on Twitter. 71 with 63 paying, right? Yep. Yep. Good luck. Up top. Thank you. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting this uh, this staking thing. Like I've thought about doing it a little bit this summer as well. Um, and obviously, like your your long term results for sure speak for themselves. But uh, when you're selling to the public, has there ever been any like blowback on uh, you know someone buys into a tournament and they don't really understand how variance works, um, even for a professional that they're not going to you know w- cash in every single tournament. Not really. I feel as though most people who buy you know who buy pieces of people have at least some ideas, so realistic expectations. You know, maybe there are some exceptions to that, but I haven't really seen any blowback from from things like that, at least not, you know, recently or anything like that. Um, I feel as though, like, most people understand that, like, the fact that a pro would be willing to sell to something means that, you know, there's at least a lot of variance behind, you know, that, that would be the main reason as to why someone would want to sell. So to have an expectation that, you are going to profit on that exact buy would obviously be a bit ridiculous. But yeah. that you're going to profit long-term on it, 
um, it can certainly be very reasonable. One of the biggest downsides of, of buying action in people is that there really isn't that much true information about how large someone's edge can be. Mm-hmm. You know, I can guess what my edge can be in tournaments based off of my online history, what my win rates are in that, um, and how much softer the live games are, and kind of like get some guesses in as to what I could be running in certain things. But, you know, no one truly knows for live, and that can cause a lot of issues in terms of people selling at prices that might be a little bit unfair due to, you know, using leveraging like their name and fame you know, to sell to people. And, you know, if people want to buy action in people that they know isn't going to be a profitable buy, they're more than willing to do so. Um, as long as people as long as people are trying their absolute best, like when they say that they're going to sell to someone a good value investment, to me as long as they believe it is truly a good value investment, you know, all's fair. But, you know, if they're telling people that something is a good value investment when they know that they're selling, you know, way too high, I, you know, take issue with that. And I feel, though, that in the industry that it's really important for us to police ourselves that while, yes, we are kind of an open market and that you know, poker players are very capitalist, you know, if, you, if you allow too many people to take you know, a predatory approach to the game and industry, that's really going to suck the life and energy out of the industry. So if, you know, if we as players just try our absolute best to just play with integrity and honesty and treat others with that in terms of our business dealings, and I feel that the poker is going to be a lot stronger and healthier for it. So do you think there should be like maybe a standard for markup or everybody should decide on their own, but just with those traits, I guess, of honesty uh, I, and integrity? I think everyone should just decide for themselves with that. You know, it's trying to figure out what a standard would be. It's just it's too complex. There's so many different factors to consider in peace buying, not just like how good you think someone's edge is going to be in that tournament, but, like, if someone's playing a full summer schedule, mm. will they be that good four weeks in of bricking? That's something else you have to consider. Are they someone who parties a lot? You know, if they have a really successful start to the summer, are they still going to be grinding as hard and playing as well, you know, seven weeks in? Are they, you know, reliable and trustworthy? Are they as skilled as they appear to be? Are they as skilled as they say they are? As they, you know, there's so many different factors to consider in buying that having, like, a regulatory body behind it. It's just it's way too complex and way too difficult. So I'm very much so in the thought process of buyer beware, but Mm. I also think it's important for pros to do a little bit of effort in terms of like policing each other, you know, making sure that if someone has scammed people, outing them immediately, you know, things like, you know, when people steal from you, out them. You know, allowing them to steal from others is so bad for the industry as a whole. You know, even if you're worried about getting paid, you know, if they're not worried about you outing them, they're not going to pay you. So just out them and save other people. You know, this is how people get to steal mid six figures or seven figures from the industry. So I think things like self-policing and being open and honest about things like that will just save so much hassle and, and effort and pain for so many people. Yeah, that's good advice. I mean, obviously, I always feel like regulatory bodies do more harm than good, right. even with the best intentions. Right. Um, but yeah, with an industry where everybody has to police themselves, you know, sometimes you can think you're better than you are or think, right. you know, that you have a better edge, like you said, right. than you probably do. So we won't keep you too much longer. I want to ask you, what is one thing or a few tips that you would give people going into World Series who might not have planned their schedule like you did seven weeks in advance or since May. Um, what sort of t- 
tips do you give to people, maybe even professionals or recreational mm-hmm. players coming to Las Vegas to make the best of their World Series time? Um, first of all, if you're going to buy action in people, do your due diligence. Make sure that you know they have a good, clean history, um, that they have good results in the stuff that they're selling for, or at least have proven results in things that are tougher or similar value or whatever. And just make sure you're very careful with who you invest in and how you invest. You do that, you can make a lot of money investing. Now, same with the summer grind. You know, if you're going to playing a tournament, make sure you know how tough that tournament is and that you are comfortable in playing in it. And if it's a tournament that you think you can't beat, make sure you can afford to just put the money into it. And even if it is a tournament that you think you're going to run a massive edge, make sure you can afford to put your money into it. You know, if you're playing, uh, let's say you're playing 50 events this summer, which would be a lot of tournaments during the summer. If you aren't comfortable to lose 40, to lose in 45 of those and have like only a couple min caches, so essentially to lose like 90% of your money on over the course, then you're not well enough rolled to play in those games. Mm-hmm. So you have to be comfortable with losing. You have to be comfortable with going into the summer and just losing. And if you're not comfortable with doing that, you cannot afford to play. Um, the other thing is, you know, let's say you do have a schedule picked out, good ideas when you would like to go, good, good ideas what you would like to play. Try your absolute best to stay off strip if you can. The difference between renting an Airbnb with a group of friends or staying at you know a hotel in the strip or staying at the Rio is a huge difference in terms of just how you feel, how happy you are, you know things like that. So if you can rent a car and get a place away from the strip, definitely do that if you're able to do so. You know take advantage of having a kitchen. You know bring packed, bring packed lunches and stuff. You know save you a lot of money and you'll eat a lot healthier doing stuff like that. Um, on top of that, just try to have realistic expectations. And if your expectations going into the summer is that there's a good chance I'm just going to brick everything, and you go into every event trying your absolute best to win, but have the expectation of just you know getting unlucky, then you'll be much happier, much more even keel going going forward. Um, and if you start to feel burned out, I mean, I've yet to take a, a day off yet, even when I've felt somewhat burned out, as I'm very aware as to how my body feels and how well I'm going to play going forward. But if you really start to feel burned out, you know, skipping a day is not going to be the end of the world. Um, this is something I probably need to, to work a little bit better on myself during the summer. But, you know, it's, if you feel as though your game is hurting because of how tired you are, you should definitely take a day off, especially if it's one of the tougher events. Outside of that, just try to have fun. Try to enjoy yourself, especially at the table. You know, you don't need to be talkative necessarily. You just don't be mean to recreational players. Don't be mean to each other and just try to enjoy yourselves. And I think if you follow these steps and you have, you know, a positive mindset but realistic expectations, you know, at the end of the summer, you'll be happy about it no matter what. That's such sage advice. I'm ready to play poker now. I know. I'm like, uh, I'm getting pumped up. It's serious. Just listening to Ryan talk. I know. This is the best timing to have you on the podcast, I think. Thank you. Uh, I think the listeners will really enjoy that. Yeah. I mean, there's so much like practical info here to take away over these past 40 minutes. Uh, and I think uh, Ryan needs to be in some sort of official uh, ambassador capacity. For, the, uh, uh, for sure. That'd be great. Without uh, a doubt. Thank you so much for having me on. I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, if you guys would like to follow along, my Twitter is at Protential, MN, MN as in Minnesota. And my uh, coaching website is PokerProtential.com. Uh, thanks for having me on. I had a wonderful time. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for being on Tells. Good luck for thanks. the WSOP and for your tournament later today. 
Thank you very much. Yep. Talk to you guys later. All right, buddy. Bye. Bye.